Welcome to the Become Who You Are podcast, a production of the John Paul II Renewal Center. I'm Jack Rickert, your host. Hey, thanks for joining me today. St. Catherine of Siena said that if you become who you are, that you would literally set the world on fire. And St. Athanasius, an early church father and the doctor of the church, said the Son of God became man so that we might become God. You know, I make a wild guess at this, but I bet you most of us are a bit disconnected from this divine life that these saints are pointing us to. Yet St. John Paul II said there's an echo of the story of this divine life that we're created for inscribed in each human heart, in your human heart. And if you put on the proper lens, if I put on the proper lens, we can get in touch with this echo within us in such a way that we have that aha moment. See, that's the genius of John, St. John Paul II's theology of the body. It connects our lived experience of life to the gospel in such a way that our life takes on a whole new meaning and helps us answer those big questions that our whole culture is so confused about today. Who am I? What's my purpose? Why were we created male and female? How do I find happiness here on earth? How do I find love that satisfies forever? Hey, glad you're with me. I'll be right back for today's episode. I'm back with Linda Piper, my good friend and an expert on all things with the, with sexuality and theology of the body. Oh, Linda, how are you? Good to see you. I'm fine, Jack. I think that was a bit overstated, but <laughs> it's so good to be here. We've reached audience number 23, the conclusion, if you will, of the first part. So I'm very excited about how we can review with our listeners um, where we've been and where we're going. Yeah. And it's, you know, the more and more important it goes. I had a friend of mine uh, recently last week that uh, called me and said that a young girl, college girl, was visiting his daughter at their lake home up in Wisconsin. And they were having an intimate conversation. And this young girl said, I no longer know who I am. I, I lost my identity. I really don't know who I am. I'm, I'm floundering. And it's an interesting thing, no matter where we go with, with contemporary society, contemporary mankind, men and women, we are asking the same questions. She wanted to know, who am I? I mean, really, who I am? What, what is the meaning to all of this stuff? I'm, yes. I feel like I'm being used and abused from a sexual standpoint with this guy that I've been going out with. I mean, what is that all about? How do I find happiness? How do I find love? Is love real? And, you know, she, it, it's a confusing time. It's really a confusing time. So as we do that, John Paul points out in here that no matter where we're going, that these ancient texts, right, that this basic thing, Jesus comes into the picture, and we'll, we'll go through this some more, but he comes into the picture and points us back to the beginning and says, hey, you know, no matter wh who you think you are and, and, and how much we learn from a biophysiological uh, standpoint, you know, it, it, we understand our sexuality from, you know, the, the plumbing and how it works from a scientific and maybe even a technological uh, aspect. There's something deep within us that says, okay, well, why though? How? Why? You know, we're a body and a soul. And when we, when we disengage ourselves from that soul, we are searching, searching, searching on this horizontal plane. And John Paul points us back to Jesus Christ who says, hey, in the beginning, I want to show you a model. I want to remind you what this all looked like and sets us up for that. Right. A couple of thoughts I had with uh, the story of this young girl. You know, I think many of us who are a bit more advanced in age can look back 
many, many years, and I know myself personally, I, I can look back and think of times, um, oh, I don't know specifically, maybe after my first child was born and, and it was a little bit rough in there with the finances and all of that, um, going all the way through. And there were many times when in marriage, it got a little bit tough and you begin to wonder what is going on here. And there were times I can honestly say that I had those same thoughts of who am I? Mm. What is this happening here? 25, 30 years into marriage, you can still have that question. And 50 years into marriage, you can still have that question if we're not paying attention to how we've been given the answers, most especially through theology of the body and what the Pope said about going back to the beginning and we find it there. And while our questions and our problems may be different than 2,000 years ago when they were questioning Jesus, the Pharisees were asking about Moses and divorce, surely things have changed. But he says the answers we will find back in the beginning, what God's original plan was for us. So that's why I'm so excited to kind of go back to that and review the great importance of understanding it. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe you can do a quick review with us uh, to open to open this up a little bit, remind everybody, because as, as many times as you and I talk about this, I, I I never get tired of following Jesus back to the beginning. And it's probably because of what you just said. You know, almost every day you have to get up in the morning and you know, this new 24-hour cycle that God gives us is this is this chance to stand at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and decide for God or against him, right? And if you decide for right. God, it's good to remember what was this, like you said, what is this all about? Right. Well, I would like to read the very first paragraph and maybe a little bit into paragraph number two of audience 23. Again, this is the general audience of April 2nd, 1980. And it begins like this. Matthew and Mark report the answer Christ gave to the Pharisees when they asked him about the indissolubility of marriage appealing to the law of Moses that allowed in certain cases the practice of the so-called certificate of divorce. Reminding them of the first chapters of Genesis, Christ answered, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator created them, male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and unite with his wife, and the two will be one flesh. So it is that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined, let man not separate. After this, addressing their question about the law of Moses, Christ added, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And that's quoted both in Matthew 19, 3 through 8, and Mark 12, Two through nine. In his answer, Christ appealed twice to the beginning, and thus we too, in the course of our analysis, have attempted to clarify as deeply as possible the meaning of this beginning, which is the first inheritance of every human being in the world, man and woman, the first witness of human identity 
according to the revealed word, the first source of the certainty of his vocation as a person created in the image of God himself. And just a bit of paragraph two goes on. Christ's answer has a historical meaning, but not only a historical one. Human beings of all times raise the question about the same topic. The same is true about our contemporaries, who in their questions do not, however, appeal to the law of Moses that allowed the certificate of divorce, but to other circumstances and other laws. Their questions are charged with problems unknown to the interlocutors at the time of Christ. We know what sort of questions about marriage and the family were addressed to the last council to Pope Paul VI and are continuously being formulated in the post-conciliar period, day after day, in the most varied circumstances. They're asked by single persons, married and engaged couples, by young people, but also by all people, writers, journalists, politicians, economics, demographers, in some by contemporary culture and civilization. And so we see that he's very much aware of this young girl's issue or problem that you just quoted. Yes, it's amazing, right? I mean, I've been sharing this, and, I, and you have too, for almost 15 years now. I, you know, I re mm -hmm. really started to dig in around 2007. Right. And the core never changes. These people, uh, when I go out to speak, and I'm sure you do too, you know, when, when you're out that people are asking the same questions and you see contemporary civilization crumbling around itself, you know, marriage and the family falling apart and, and, and the building blocks of the culture all coming down. The human body, right? The human person, you know, body and soul, the core of, of our identity, our purpose and meaning, these things don't change. You know, when I, I was thinking just while you were reading that, my great, great, great grandparents may not have had an iPhone or may not have wasted huge amount of time on social media, right? But they mm -hmm. certainly sought love, happiness, fulfillment, and, and they all turned, you know, ultimately to marriage, family, and God to find those and fulfill themselves. So what mm -hmm. really changed? You know, I'm thinking, you know, if somebody pulled the plug, uh, Linda, right now, and they certainly could uh, have a cyber attack on our, our elect uh, electric uh, utilities, right, our grid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these young people could no longer access their phones. And all of a sudden, they would find out very quickly that that this is all an illusion, that that this noise is an illusion. All you need to do is unplug your and we would resort back to prehistoric man, not not to my great great grandparents, right? That were you know living on farms and things. We would go back to Neanderthal, you know, or whatever the heck you know they say that you know we evolved from, right? I mean, these right. crazy uh, crazy uh, scientists today. And yes. uh, but at the end of the day, we have these same questions. You know, G.K. Chesterton, when I was reading Orthodoxy, one of his incredible books, he said, it's amazing that whenever we, we, uh, we, we, we think we're delving into prehistory, we always find uh, that man was already civilized. In other words, we find a new group of people we never found before, and we dig far enough, we find uh, clay pots, uh, shards. Uh, we find, uh, you know, arrows and spears and tools and fire. And and he said, you know, it's amazing. You know, prehistoric man was already civilized, you know, and, and why do we right. keep finding it that way? So my great grandparents, your great grandparents, everybody here today, you know, one 
one sexual union, one family after another, building on top of each other, passing the story down to us. And the dysfunction that we see today when it's all unraveling and it's unraveling uh, for the reasons that you just read. It's, we, we, we forgot the image and likeness of God, which is really uh, marriage, the family, the spousal union, this law of the gift, right? To receive divine right. life, love, right. and then to become love. Right. And you see, talking about the iPhones, kind of the bigger picture is all our uh, technology and really the whole current scientific knowledge that we have on so many things that we didn't have before. And the Pope points out that, you know, this has reduced the the body, the person to an object to be manipulated. Mm. And while elements of that were probably going on forever, um, it has become particularly strong now because of the technology. And he says, what this beginning tells us, it's the biblical knowledge that he's talking about in Genesis, is that that human body, which we've reduced to just this thing to being manipulated, this object, is, is a person, a personal subject with inviolable dignity. Mm. And I think that word dignity, every time it comes up in Theology of the Body, I think about how we have strayed so far from an understanding of personal dignity. It's not possible to have the things that are going on in the world um, and and still hold that sense of the dignity of the human person. Um, so he reminds us of that. And he also says that we're not just this object, but we're a subject, a, a person who decides his own actions in light of the truth about himself or the truth of who we are. So again, it comes out that, yes, we have that self-determination and free will to act, but that acting must be in light of understanding who we are. And that's when we get people saying, you know, I've lost my identity. They're kind of saying, I've lost who I am, so I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act. And they, they're they really like the poster child from, from what the Pope is telling us, you know, kind of the flip side of what he says we need to be and to do. We see this in the vitriol. And, and you know, I, I'm listening to people speaking on these issues and and, uh, and you know, on, on pornography and uh, grooming in our schools and these transgender story hours and uh, people, uh, you know, children being worn out of uh, wedlock one after another, and people don't have any problem with this. I mean, I, I, I'm listening to people on, on in, in the government even spewing this stuff, and they're perfectly all right with this. And you say, oh, my gosh, you know, where are we at? And, and, and I'm thinking about Humane Vitae, John Paul. You know, Humane Vitae was, uh, was written by Pope Paul VI. It came out in 1968. It was on contraception. And I, you know, I was just a young person. It didn't really phase me that much, you know, but, but everybody was talking about this and, and protesting, uh, John, uh, Pope Paul the sixth and, and, and this terrible thing that he was saying that contraception is wrong. And, and there's a reason behind it. So he writes this prophetic document. It's not very long, Humanae Vitae. And I'm just going to read from number 17. And he says the consequences of artificial methods. And the reason I bring it up here is because what you said, Linda, I mean, you know, and what we're talking about, Jesus brings us back into the beginning. In the beginning, this sacramental sign 
of of a father or, or a husband, right? A man giving himself to uh, to his wife, his wife receiving that, and they enter into this one flesh marital union that unifies them, but it's also generative, right? It's procreative. And we enter into that. You know, this is this is a supernatural event that takes place that that the man is carrying a seed. The woman has this this beautiful body that that's receptive to this and has has in her the and there's only a certain amount of eggs that she carries in her lifetime and and so this is brings supernatural beings into the world you know and and we read right away in in Genesis 1 even after the fall when when Eve is giving birth or just gave birth to Cain she said I have I'm just going off the top you know from memory but I produced a man she said Right, we talked about this last time with the help of the Lord, and so we understand this. So I just want to read from seventeen because think how prophetically um, Pope Paul the sixth was. He said, "Responsible men can become more deeply convinced of the truth of the doctrine laid down by the Church on this issue of contraception if they reflect on the consequences of methods and plans for artificial birth control." Let them consider first how easily this course of action could open wide the way for marital infidelity and a general lowering of moral standards will come after this. Well, <laughs> we've seen both of those. Mm -hmm. Then he goes on to say, not much experience is needed to be fully aware of human weakness and understand that human beings, and especially young people who are so exposed to temptation, they need incentives to keep the moral law. And what an evil thing it is to make it easy for them to break that law. Well, just think what I just said, right? We have mm -hmm. grooming going on in schools now. We have transgender story hour. We have we have totally be degraded and pulverized what it means to be a human being. And we're bringing this in and taking away the innocence of our own children. And then as they enter the teen years, they've been taught you know, how to put a condom on a cucumber in school. I mean, this is getting like ridiculous. And so they're having sex earlier and earlier and earlier, right? So, and then another effect he said that gives cause for alarm is that a man who grows accustomed to the use of contraceptive methods may forget the reverence due to a woman and disregarding her physical and emotional equilibrium, reduce her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires, no longer considering her as his partner, whom he should surround with care and affection. I mean, how many marriages now are suffering from this and this pornographic culture? It's amazing. I know one after another. And finally, careful consideration should be given to the danger of this power passing into the hands of those public authorities who care little for the precepts of the moral law. And, and, and you see this, and he quotes in here, I won't read the whole thing, but authorities favoring contraceptive methods uh, and pushing them into the country and on their people and into the world. And we see this, you know, it started with the Obama administration and it's going on. We stopped it with Trump for a while. And now it's back with, with Biden that, that we tie uh, our financial help to third world countries. They have to accept contraception and an abortion. And you just go, that's almost crazy. It's so evil. But anyways, Pope Paul the sixth, uh, he he uh, prophetically saw this. And then finally he says, but it comes as no surprise to the church that she, no less than her divine founder, is destined to be a sign of contradiction. So in other words, we will be attacked for this, for this statement in the world, that, that right. this beautiful sign of marriage, people just say, nope, I don't want that. You know, I want to do what I want to do. And um, 
That's the way it is. That's the way the culture is today. But this is where yeah, we're seeing this yeah. dysfunction twirling around. We're like we're like the water going out of a uh, out of a sink right at the end when it starts to swirl or uh, you flush a toilet and it's swirling around and going down. That's what I feel like this culture is going right down into the sewer that, right yeah, now. That's a good image. You know, you made the point of so many people uh, feeling I want to do what I want to do, you know, freedom, right? I can mm-hmm. do whatever I want to do. And it plays out in so many ways. Interestingly enough, um, just a couple, three days ago, there was a news article where uh, Stacey Abrams, who I believe she's running once again for um, governor in Georgia. Yeah. And uh, the title caught my eye. Stacey Abrams says her faith in God guides her abortion rights stance. I thought, hmm. Did I read that right? You know? mm. So um, further in the article, uh, this is a quote from Stacey Abrams. She is saying, while your faith tradition may tell you that you personally do not want to make that choice of having an abortion, she's talking about, it is not my right as a Christian to impose that value system on someone else. Well, we've heard politicians use that line of reasoning for a long time now, at least since Roe v. Wade. But she goes on and says, because the value that should overhang everything is the right to make our own decisions, the free will that the God I believe in gave us. So folks who are saying, I want to do what I want to do, essentially, that's what she's saying here, that we've been given free will by God and that we can do what we want to do. And so you have to stop a minute and say, really, is that what freedom and free will is about? To your point in Humanae Vitae, Pope John Paul made a comment, too, that he says, Humanae Vitae takes us to the heart of the mystery of human life. And he says that takes us back to the total vision of man. So I'm trying to kind of construct and put these ideas together here. Part of that total vision of man, of course, is that God gave us free will and that we have freedom, that self-determination that we talked about very early on in our discussions. But there's a very important piece that people are forgetting here about what that free will and and, and, uh, that freedom is really about. And I'm going to uh, the catechism, which makes a couple of very clarifying statements here. Paragraph number 1733 says, um, there is no true freedom except in the service of what is good and just. The choice to disobey and to do evil is an abuse of freedom and leads to the slavery of sin. You see? And further in uh, 1747, it says, The exercise of freedom does not entail the right to say or do anything. Say or do anything, what I want. And we've lost a total sense of that. And honestly, Jack... Going back to the beginning and what we've discussed gives us the answer to this issue. Yeah. This misunderstanding of our freedom. Well, it's not only that, Linda, you know, first of all, it's a lack of any knowledge even of, of our sexuality for her to say something like that. 
I mean, think about this, you know, our, our U.S. Uh, Declaration of Independence goes life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it, there's, there's a reason that life comes first. You have to have life in order to have liberty or, or to pursue happiness. I mean, I'm really upset with that. I mean, I mean, you would think here's somebody running for governor that, uh, that I could take a life of another being, right? Take away their right to live. And, and, and that's okay. So I have free will just to destroy the life of another human being. Um, that's and, what you're and, saying. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so ridiculous. I mean, it, you almost don't know how to respond to that because there's so many ways we can go with this. So, so I mean, Satan was given free will. Mm-hmm. The devil himself was given free will. Adam and Eve were given free will. You know, Adolf Hitler was given free will. The guy that that murders someone today on the street is given free will. You know, the drug right. addict that becomes an you know becomes an addict is given free will. So, and, you know, this is why these DAs, you know, these George Soros DAs, which I believe she was one of them at one time, right? Uh, you know, that's why they they uh, they see nothing wrong with crime and nothing wrong with stealing and nothing wrong with taking and burning down cities because. At the end of the day, it's all about your free will. I mean, what? A, so I can take away your freedom for my free will. And, and I mean, is there no you know, concern for that? And so where does it stop? Well, it always stops with the most powerful. It always is going to stop in the hands of a tyrant because he is the strong man. And so what happens to this, to the weak, the poor, the vulnerable, that Jesus Christ and her Christian faith, her so-called Christian faith, Jesus always came into the story to take care of the weak, the vulnerable. So who's the weakest and the most vulnerable? The, 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 our children. You have to start with the children. If we aren't going to protect the children, and that means from conception all the way through, no wonder she doesn't care what they do in the schools in first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. No wonder she's against Christians, uh, actual Christians coming in and saying, you know, not to uh, bring these ideologies into our children's lives and, and take away their innocence and twist their their sexuality. I, you know, it's absurd, Linda. It's absurd. Yeah. yeah. But then, too, Jack, um, again, in the Catechism 387, only in the knowledge of God's plan for man can we grasp that sin is an abuse of the freedom that God gives to created persons so that they are capable of loving him and loving one another. Yeah. So you see, it, it comes down to helping people understand it's an abuse of freedom, not, not true freedom. And what was that freedom for? That freedom is to love and to be loved. And that brings us right back to everything we've been discussing. So I see one of our goals here is to help people understand that, as you said, we're swirling around going down the drain here. Um, no, we can stop it if we go back and understand what God's plan was from the beginning and what the proper use of that free will and that freedom is. And, and it's all here. And I, I have kind of expanded to everything we have focused on our sexuality, but it's very true that male and female, he created them. If we don't get an understanding of that 
truth uh, that's revealed in Genesis, the truth of the communion of persons and being reciprocal gift to each other, we're, we're never going to be getting a handle on how to work with any of these issues of what kids are being taught in the school and, you know, pornography. And it's like, bam, 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 coming at us from all these different directions. Wow. So, you know, pause and look at what's the core that we need. to. Yeah. You know, to, you know, and again, you know, it, it's such a, this is an opposite contrast, right? Love yeah. is this beautiful sign that Jesus takes us into the beginning, to your point, that this is a love story. And when when we're open to life, this is a sacramental sign reaching fully into the inner life of God himself, into the Trinitarian model that we're, we're created for. And again, my great, great, great grandparents, this is the point. They, they wanted to enter into this. We all want to love this, this young girl that was up at my friend's cottage. She's looking for love. She's looking for happiness. She wants to know, you know, where's the true, the good and the beautiful in this, and especially the beauty of love. And the opposite of that is, is not hate. The opposite of that is using somebody else. And, and, and Stacey Abrams will go all the way to using the, the, the unborn body of a young, uh, uh, of, of a young person. And just to trash that and throw that, it's the opposite of this model that we're talking about. And when she chooses uh, to, to do, to take away the good, she steps into evil. You know, evil is the absence of good. I, you know, in the beginning, God is, is, is creating and he's always said, it's good, it's good, it's good. The only time he said, it's not good that man should be alone. And the reason for that is because we want to be a reciprocal gift to one another. The, the, absence of that good of that holiness is evil evil comes in and fills up so what she's doing is saying i choose not to do the good i choose not to do to bring holiness and love into the world so i'm walking away from that and the vacuum there is is death it's the yes. culture of death it's yes. amazing that people can get this far in politics today and and just spew this vitriol i mean it, it's a it it, it it blows my mind. I'm, I'm really feeling, you know, I got to settle. My heart's got to settle down because it, it's, how can I destroy the life of another person and spew this out and say that, you know, that my choice is, this is not freedom to choose the good. This is a license, right? This is license, right. whatever right. I want with my life. It's, yeah. it's, it's a selfish, it's a terribly selfish uh, implosion and pulverization of, of who they, we are as human beings. Right. That's, uh, that's a good way to describe it. And I think it's uh, an example of how we see the, the depth of the depravity of our current uh, materialistic and utilitarian culture, which leads to death. That's really the bottom yeah. line. Yeah. And why don't you unpack, should we unpack those words real quickly? You know, material, materialism, uh, meaning that you know we no longer have that supernatural look, and we, and and really w what we see is what we are, right? And that's what we right. get, you know, this this world that right. we have here, right? It's it's kind of cutting off the body from the soul, you yeah. know, which takes us back to the body being an object to be manipulated, and uh, you know the utilitarianism that really what's in it for me, you know, it's all about me and what I want and the pleasure I get from someone or something. Yeah. So, and I'm only in that relationship as, as they bring me pleasure. And then, and then, uh, and, and the same thing goes the other way. I mean, that's yeah. what happens in the, in, you know, when you are just living with someone and never making that commitment, 
you're always living on eggshells because somebody could walk out the door at any time. And that's where these, again, Linda, it gets back to who gets hurt there the most. Well, of course, you know, the couple does, but, but it's the innocent children again. It gets children. back to those children who are growing up in a dysfunctional home in many cases, right? I mean, you know, not everyone, but I'm talking about, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. I, 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 without a mother and a father in the home and, and look at it happens and we get it and for all kinds of different reasons, but, but there's something that's lost there and these children are not being protected. And without a father growing up, I know in the city that, you know, they, they, they join gangs and they don't, they never get the, the education that they should because there's no one really home for them, protecting them and, and actually even guiding them, you know, to, to, to study uh, the worth of who they are, you know, one thing compounds another thing. And it's, right. it's amazing. And we know that the family, you know, is the basic cell of society and that, you know, the nucleus is that marriage. It's that mother and father, husband and wife and their relationship. You know, that brought me back to something Father Loya many years ago, um, who uh, is uh, also has studied theology of the body. He's in the Byzantine rite of the church. Um, wonderful person and and he kind of summed it up to say you know it comes down to who man is for the woman and who she is for the man you know who he is for her and who she is for him kind of as a way of describing that you've got to get down to that level of looking at what is that relationship about you know the behavior and the feelings that shared life um, of the spouses and and actually as we spoke you know going down to our bodies tell us that spousal meaning of the body which is that ability to love and to be loved it, it comes down to that core and so in our marriages you know um when I said earlier on that you can look and have those identity crisis, you know, if if I were to go back and really analyze a few of the episodes, I think it would always come back to we began slipping more into that utilitarianism where, you know, he's out working and doing these things and I'm running the household and doing these things. And we're just kind of looking at that versus why are we doing these things? Who are we? What's happened yeah. to our relationship here? And when we you know, can pull back into that, apologize for whatever had gone on and move forward. It always comes back to the communion of persons and how we've wounded it and fall into that um, utilitarianism, depression, all those things that are a part of it, which is why this theology of the body has struck my heart so deeply because I can look at my own marriage and life, my children, uh, their marriages, my grandchildren, and see at every phase of life that these issues come up and are so important to understand what was God's plan here, you know, and why am I feeling this way and what do I need to understand and what changes do I need to make from that? And, and think about this, you know, you're mentioning, you know, the, and thank you for that. And you're mentioning, you know, the family and, and think about grand, you know, think about our kid, our grandkids, right? Think about mm -hmm. a, a second grader, you know, and, and I want to put up a second grader, one of your second graders. And I have one that that's that uh, against Stacey Abrams. And I just want them to be, I'm picturing them in front of me. And I'm just going to ask the second grader in front of Stacey Abrams, is it wrong to kill an innocent human being? That's all mm -hmm. I'm going to ask. And a second grader will tell me what? Yes, of course, yes. it's wrong yes. to kill an innocent human being. 
And I said, is it okay to kill a human, innocent human being? Because I had, and, 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 and I'll, I'll look over at Stacy and tell the little one to hold her, 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 his ears, but is it okay to kill a human being? Because I want to use somebody sexually. And then I, I you know, I, my contraception failed and this is where abortion comes in, you know, and this is what the mm-hmm. Supreme court justice said in 1973. He said, you know, in a contraceptive society, he said that you have to have abortion because contraception will fail and we have to be able to, to, to take out the, the, the innocent one. And so, so let's think about this. And this is what Stacey Abrams is missing in her Christianity. She's missing Christ. You know, what would Christ do? I mean, this is, this is not brain surgery, you know? So how significant is this? John Paul says that, that Jesus comes into the world, right? The incarnate word of God comes back in and he wants to reveal this story to us. And what does he do? He takes us back to the beginning when question about, about, you know, these questions about that we're speaking of today. And he brings us back to the threshold, John Paul says, of his theological history, his, his study right away of who he is and who God is. And he orders man, Jesus does, to place himself within the boundary between our original innocence before the fall and our original happiness. And then the inheritance of sin, and this is for Stacey Abrams. So, so we are all there, right? We we have come into the world, and we the fall has already happened. So, why does he bring us here? Does he want us just to to be in despair? Then, okay, you you guys missed the original innocence and happiness. You're just in despair. I'm bringing it up so that you guys can know how bad you're going to feel about yourselves. No, by doing so, he doesn't he he doesn't say that. He wants us to lead there to see what the sacrament of the primordial sacrament uh, was in the beginning of marriage. That it's a model, a model of the creator's model, really, of the inner life, again, of the Trinity, and wants to say today we have the sacrament of marriage that he's bringing in by the redemption of the body. This is my body given for you. I didn't come in the world to leave you in despair. I didn't come in the world to manage your sins. I didn't come in the world for nothing. I came in with power, and that power is that this is my body. I brought humanity, Stacey Abram. He, he, if you look up at Jesus on the crucifix, your humanity is then joined to his humanity, his humanity, which, the, which joins to the divinity. It becomes in union and communion as in the beginning. He puts this all back together again, and then he pours this out to us, right? He gets hit in the heart. Water and blood flows out. The water is a baptism that we need to wash ourselves in, and then he constantly replenishes us with this in the sacraments of reconciliation and the Eucharist. And if you aren't going there and accepting redemption, then you become like a Stacey Abrams floating around saying, I'm standing at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I choose to go away from God. I choose evil. I choose the fall. Jesus came in the world on that cross brought that tree of life back into the story and said, receive from me, say yes to me, and I will bring you life in abundance and show you what it means to be a human being again, right? Right. And what you just described is what the Pope refers to often in his uh, writings here about it's from the perspective of the redemption of the body, which is what Christ did. Yes. And, you know, he, he acknowledges that for modern man. So we have all this science now and he goes, you know, scientific knowledge of human sexuality is not inherently bad. So all of the things that science has learned about our reproductive systems and even uh, the 
elements of uh, the psychological uh, elements and social elements of our sexuality. He says that kind of knowledge is, is fine, but he says this, he calls it like the science of the body must be informed by the theology of the body, the word of God becoming flesh in the incarnation, the body entered theology through the main door. So you just gave us a total picture of what that means and what Christ did and how it's to affect us in our understanding of who we are in relationship to him and what he did for us, that whole redemption of the body. So yeah, uh, we have different puzzle pieces today that we're talking about that we're putting together to create this big picture, which again, the Pope calls the total vision of man. And anything that we read and hear, like Stacey Abrams' comments, just is a clear uh, visual for me that so many of those puzzle pieces are missing. You know, she's got some pieces here and there of whatever her understanding of Christianity is. But the main points that the Pope is saying we've got to get from Genesis and from the beginning all seem to be missing. And so many people, I think, are in that boat. And that's why we're doing this, right, Jeff? Yeah. You know, I, it's so many, like you said, so many things float through. You know, G.K. Chesterton, uh, that quote that I like so much, he said, you know, sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car. You know, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, this redemption of the body and we all look at we're all sinners. We all have to be redeemed. I, I hear this 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 vitriol and this and, and this this really hate speech. Uh, you know, when, when, when you're out to murder the most innocent among us, I hear this all, all, all the time. It shouldn't bother me at all, I guess. Right. We hear it all the time. Um, you know, when I think about uh, the president of the United States now, you know, Joe Biden's radically pushing abortion and his gender ideologies on the whole on the whole United States now. When, you know, you get back to that God in um saying, when God has forgotten, the creature itself grows unintelligible. And Joe Biden calls himself a Catholic, as does Nancy Pelosi, Dick Durbin, and many others. So, so here's what I hear from Jesus, and this is the point I'll make. He said this. If you continue in my word, he's talking to the, the, the Jews of his days, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Joe Biden and, and anybody else that calls himself a Christian, we have plenty of them running around, right? They go around spewing heresies all over the world, and they're right in a Catholic church. They're in the Vatican, right? All along three. And, and, and they came back to Jesus, and they said, we're descendants of Abraham. And and. And he said, we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say that you'll make us free? And this, this is what Jesus does. He comes in here to make us free, to turn our minds to the, what's true, good, and beautiful. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not continue in the house forever. The son, capital S, continues forever. And we're called into that sonship and that and, and to be sons and daughters of God. When we turn to Jesus, we continue in his house forever. He's taken us into eternal life. He's telling us right off the bat, if you're a slave to sin and you don't ask for redemption and come in, the slave does not continue in the house forever, but the son, Jesus, continues in the house forever. And so he goes on to say, so if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, he said, yet you seek to kill me 
because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father, Satan. I mean, that's amazing stuff, right? And I'll just Mm -hmm. go a little further because it's so fascinating. They answered Jesus like this. Abraham is, is, is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did, right? Which is what? Walking out and following what God said. And now he says, you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I had heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You do the works of your father. That's Satan he's talking about. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have but one father, even God. Right? This is what these Christians and these Catholics are saying. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded and came forth from God. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, he said. And your will is to do your father's desires. Listen to this, Linda. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. But because I told you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. That's pretty powerful. That's from the that's from John chapter eight. Right. And you've talked earlier about the illusion that so many are under, and that's it. They're not listening because they are under the illusion that we can do what we want to do, when we want to, how we want to, and that comes right from the father of lies. So you just like filled in. Um, another piece of the puzzle. So my question to you, Jack, is going back to our young lady in the beginning and saying she's lost her identity. You know, in a sense, you could say, who is your father? Who is your father? Is it the father of lies? Is it Satan? Or is it God the father? And start there if you're lost, if you don't know who you are. And what you just read, I would recommend, maybe you can tell us exactly the passage if you've got it there. But Yeah, um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's John chapter 8, starting at verse 31, and then goes on. John chapter 8, verse 31. And on, yeah. It's powerful. It's a fire. I would would recommend reading it a couple of times slowly, because that really breaks it open. I mean, you know, Linda, there's a, we're in a time right now. And we know that the weeds and the grain are growing together. But we're at a time right now where where we're really popping up and making ourselves visible. You know, there was a time not so long ago, some decades ago, perhaps, especially uh, maybe even in the in the 30s and 40s, 50s, even though this was all there, so much evil was going on in churches, all over the world, all kinds of things. But they weren't as prominent today. Everybody is unmasking themselves in the middle of this pandemic, these lockdowns and and putting masks on. We, through our words and our actions, are standing up, even with our masks on, and proclaiming who we are and which side we stand on. We have to be very careful about this. And I think that time is ticking down very quickly. 
for all of us, something's up in the air right now with humanity. And, uh, and we're making evil and good very visible in the world. You know, the, 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 the sheep and the goats are being separated and we're doing it ourselves. We're doing mm-hmm. it ourselves. Right. Right. I'm just looking here at my notes, Jack, and we like come full circle because I jotted down kind of an introductory remark um, about where we are at this point in studying TOB. And one point was that it helps us fully understand who we are and then decide our actions in that light, in Mm. the light of the understanding of who we are. Yes. There, yes. you know, that's we've come to like that real line in the sand, that bottom line of who are we? Um, do we know we we decide our actions in the light of the truth about who we are? Are we going to listen to the truth or reject it? And we can see many people have totally rejected it, and they go off and and their actions are decided in light of that rejection of the truth, if you will. And we see that that leads us down the road to perdition, that that is the slavery of sin that yeah. abounds. Yes. And, and it shows you, to your point, Linda, we have to become what John Paul would say, moral agents in the world. In other words, we, you know, we cannot sleep anymore at the wheel here, that when you know the truth, like we're talking about today, and Christ has revealed this, we don't know it because we made it up. We, we, we know it because it's been revealed to us. And it's already in our hearts. If we really, uh, uh, you know, when you hear the gospel, when you hear the word, you already know it because God has written that in your heart. It, it makes a connection. You know, it's this beautiful, homogenous, kind of a pasteurized, homogenous coming together, right? This beautiful union and communion with God and his word. And we have to stand up for this because you see that too, for too long, um, We've we've stood we you know we stayed in the shadows. We've said okay, well I'm going to read the the word. I'm going to go to the church. I'm going to just stay in my own zone, and you know because politics is a dirty game, and and you know nobody wanted to get involved in in a certain sense. But we see because of people that are saying that they're Christians, and then saying to do whatever you want. I mean, this is not Christianity, right? Either they've been catechized so poorly that they really think that that is, but just common sense to somebody will say, then then how can you tell someone that's going to steal my car out of my driveway today? That's their free will. And, exactly. and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, this is so yeah. ridiculous. You could carry it yes. out forever yes. with yes, any you can. issue. Well, um, we need to yeah, wrap so, up, Linda. What, what's yeah. your wrap up words? Because I know Here's we're going to wrap up. If, okay, if our listeners recall, we talked about the triptych the three-part panel, if you will. And we have gone through the first 23 audiences is that first panel, original man. In the beginning, right? In the beginning. In the beginning. And the second part is historical man, where Christ is appealing to the human heart. And then we'll go on to the third panel, which is the eschatology, um, our final end. Where we're what going, you, right? What yes, a, what an incredible but, story, actually. Yeah, listen, what you just talked about, though, we're saying we're appealing to the human heart that it is written in our mm-hmm. heart, mm-hmm. right from wrong, right? We know the good and and we have the freedom. Freedom is for choosing the good, choosing love. And that's exactly where we're headed in 
Part two of Theology of the Body, chapter two, it's called Christ Appealing to the Human Heart. So how exciting is this that we've kind of uh, both summarized the first part and actually looked at with that situation that something happening here now, we must look at this appeal that Christ makes to our human heart. Mm, that's that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Well, thank you very much. Hey, thanks everybody for joining us. Um, we, Glinda is going to be moving, so we'll see what happens here. We might have to uh, take off a couple of weeks here. Um, and, uh, I'm working on a project with Mark at a, at a, we're putting it together. We're going to be, uh, working with some high schools and stuff. So we'll see how time goes with that, but this would be a good time to maybe take a week or two off here, Linda, if, if, uh, when you're heading out to Pennsylvania, uh, I'm yeah. working with, so everybody knows I'm working with, uh, with a, uh, a, a teacher who's going to be, um, hopefully joining us, uh, to work with parents and teens. So, we are starting, you know, we're starting to do a mini series. And so maybe I'll sneak this mini series in here. I was wondering where I was going to do with it, but it's so beautiful. It walks, she's a theology, of the body person, uh, Linda knows her and uh, I'll introduce her in a week or two. And, and, uh, and we're going to be talking about love for parents and teens, love defined. Uh, what is chastity? What is love? What, you know, why would you be interested in all that? So that might be a good time, Linda, maybe I'll fit a couple of those sessions in here while you're moving and then catch up with you again. Yeah, that's so exciting, Jack. And maybe our listeners, too, can just review a little bit any part of the first 23 audiences that they feel like they'd like a refresher on, which can be found on the website, right? Yes, yes. So that's a great idea. You know, um, when I heard these sessions the, the first time, and I know that you and I have talked about this, you know, they're kind of in your head floating around and you have to hear them a couple of times and, and kind of let it sink into your heart and be integrated, like, like we were talking about today, integrated into this whole person. And so that you really live on this foundation and you can live from this foundation. And this will help so much when you're describing these issues in the world. You'll, you'll be able to see with a lens, you'll be able to see all the dysfunction in the world. And instead of being frustrated and apathetic and almost paralyzed, you'll say, oh, I know why that's happening because they don't know this integral vision of man and, and even helping our relatives and our friends and our sons and daughters and our grandchildren to take them back into the beginning and say, you know, in the beginning, it was not. So let me, let me take you back. And, and we unpacked all of that in these first 23 sessions. So you're right, Linda, go back, yeah. listen to those. And, uh, and, uh, when you, you're moving at the end of this month, right? So this is, right, this is, right. this is kind of early August here. You'll be moving in a, in a couple of weeks, but you got to pack and do all kinds of things, huh? All that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll be ready to go sometime, probably mid September to jump in again to part two. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, God bless mm -hmm. you, Linda. I will stay up with you and I'll, I will see you actually, uh, before you go. So, Hey, thank sure. you. Goodbye to everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. God Bye. bless. Thank you.